Hello and welcome to my very first podcast. Um, my name is Cassie Murray and today for my very first podcast I wanted to talk about something that something a little bit more serious. I know that's really not the way to start off my first podcast but um, I just feel like you know when life you know, it gives you struggle, the best thing you can do is talk about it. So that's what we're going to do. Um, about two weeks back, I lost a very important person in my life, aka my father. And it's been tough. But I wanted to use today to basically tell his story and talk about his life, you know, what had been going on. Um, I know that if my dad was listening to this right now, he would not at all like it because he was the type of person to where he never wanted people to be concerned about him and his health. I mean, only him, only he knew what was, you know, going on with his heart. He was the only person that could feel what he felt or what he felt. So, anyways, I'm still going to tell the story because he's important to me, and I think he impacted a lot of people's lives in different ways. Um, you know, first off, my dad was the type of person to where he always wanted to see people smile. He was constantly making jokes, constantly, you know, bringing light to situations, even if they were tough. Um, he was just overall, you know, he's a dad. He's not only a dad, but he was the funniest and the most charismatic and, you know, just overall out most outgoing person I've ever met. You could... You know, if you were a stranger to him and you were to walk up to him and, you know, just say hi, he could sit there for you with you for hours just talking about everything and anything. And that was one of my favorite things about him. Our conversations were always one of my favorite things about him because, you know, sometimes you talk to people and they're kind of short with you. Like they don't really... um you know, they don't really have a lot to say, which that's okay. But I enjoy talking to people that, you know, they, they want to, they, you know, they seem interested in what you're saying and they want to talk to you and ask questions. And, um, you know, even if you don't have a lot in common with pe with somebody else, you can still, like, it's nice to talk to somebody and kind of get to know what they like, you know, hearing them want to know what you like and that's how my dad was. You know, even if from the bottom of his heart, if he did not care about something, he was still going to ask you questions and, you know, ask you, you know, what's this? What's that? What do you mean? And so that was one of the things I loved most about him. But basically um, how it started was when my dad was younger he was diagnosed with rheumatic fever, which is basically a disease 
that starts normally as a strep throat or like scarlet fever. And if it's not treated properly, it can develop into rheumatic fever. And what rheumatic fever is, it affects your, it can affect your heart, it can affect your joints, it can affect your skin, your brain. And the main thing that it affected with my dad was his heart. So throughout his life, he struggled with heart failure. And when he was in high school, he had his very first open heart surgery, which is just insane, especially for, you know, being in high school and you have to go through that. It's just insane. But he was given what they call a pig valve. So it's a literal pig's valve. And after that, he, I think it lasted him a few years and he ended up having to get another heart surgery, which then is when they had more technology with, you know, heart stuff. So during that time, he was given an artificial heart valve. And because his valves were, you know, basically weak, they weren't working. So they replaced that broken heart valve with an artificial one. And that one lasted 32 years, which is crazy. 32 years of his life, he had the artificial heart valve. And I think normally... Heart valves are supposed to last up to 25 years, sometimes even 15, but his lasted 32 years. So I remember experiencing the very first or his, it wasn't his first, but for me, it was my first heart attack back in 2010. I was in fourth grade and I remember that day because my Mom and I had gone to my orthodontist appointment and we stopped at McDonald's afterwards and picked up some food. And I remember, I don't know if it was a few days before, maybe like a week before, my hometown had experienced like this really bad storm where our church down the street, actually the wind, um, the storm was so strong that the wall of the church fell and all the bricks, you know, were just in a big pile. So he after storms, he was always interested in driving around and, you know, seeing the damage, um, as is probably everybody in small towns. But I remember specifically that day we got home and he wasn't home, but he was out driving around finding storm damage, specifically, uh, the church that had fell down, but, or the wall of the church that had fell down. So after my mom and my brother and sister and I ate, uh, my siblings and I were sitting in the living room, uh, reading books for school and my dad had gotten home and where our living room is, you can look directly into the dining room. So I remember seeing my mom and my dad sitting there. My mom was just sitting at the table with him while he ate his food. And after he ate, he was, I think, complaining that his shoulders hurt. So my mom got up and started massaging his shoulders and he kind of put his head down on the table as if, you know, he was getting relaxed, you know, he was enjoying the shoulder massage and all of a sudden he started falling over to his left, um, onto the floor and he was just laying there, started making what sounded like, kind of like if somebody was snoring in their sleep and at the time, my siblings and I, we kind of started laughing because we thought, haha, you know, mom started massaging dad's shoulders and 
uh, our dad is pretending to be asleep. Like it put him to sleep or something. But we knew shortly after that it was more than that. And that's where we started getting concerned. Um, so obviously he was taken to the hospital. He was transferred to another hospital about an hour away. And then after that, he stayed there for a while and ended up being transferred to another hospital closer to Chicago. Um, it was a, it's a beautiful hospital, Loyola Hospital. Um, basically during that time, they didn't find, they didn't really know what could have caused the heart attack. They knew obviously his heart wasn't good because of, you know, his past, but they didn't really know what triggered it. So he left the hospital after however much time he was there. I think it was only a few weeks. It felt like three months, but yeah, I think it was only about a month or something. Um, so he ended up, you know, coming back home and he was fine. And around 2014, he ended up feeling a lot like, you know, shortness of breath. Um, what happens is because of his heart, he gets fluid built up in his body. So there can be fluid built up in his chest and his lungs. Uh, he gets fluid in his legs. So it makes his legs like really swollen. So he, during that time in 2014, he was at work and I think he may have passed out and a coworker called my mom a co-worker of his had called my mom and told her that, you know, you should really get John. John should really be looked at because he doesn't seem like he's doing that good. You know, they've been around him. His co-workers have been around him. You know, he seemed fine. And all of a sudden, you know, he starts feeling shortness of breath. You know, he has to constantly take breaks when he's doing work, doing carpentry work. It's just concerning. So he ended up going to the hospital and they found out that, his heart valves may need to be looked at, checked out, maybe even replaced. So in 2014, he had an open heart surgery after 32 years and ended up getting that 32-year-old heart valve replaced. And he ended up getting another one of his valves that wasn't previously replaced, but it was like his real heart valve ended up getting replaced. So he was living with two artificial heart valves. So after that, you know, we were happy. He made it through surgery. Good. I remember that day, like it was yesterday. Um, we waited in the waiting room for what felt like two days. <laughs> it was actually like five, I think five hours we waited in that waiting room. And it was just the most anxiety ridden thing because you know, I knew that my dad was strong and he had been through so much already, but there was that fear that something was going to happen. But fortunately, he made it out better than ever. And after that, he hadn't really had any problems. And the years leading up to his passing, um, he... You know, he'd have times where he'd have to, where he'd have fluid built up in his lungs, and to get rid of that fluid, basically he takes what the, what we call a water pill. Um, and what it's meant to do is that he takes the pill, and then it helps 
drain out all the fluid through his urine. So whenever he pees, the fluid comes out. So he was constantly getting up, going to the bathroom, so on and so forth. And that seemed to work. Um, But around, I think, last year, maybe this year, he started having these problems where he'd have these little heart attacks. Um, Basically, what would happen is he could just be sitting there, you know, living his life, and he would have a moment where his heart would race and race and race and race. And he has in a defibrillator or a pacemaker in his chest. Kind of looks like a little cell phone, like a flip phone, I call it. Um, like a folded flip phone. But he has one of those in his chest. So what would happen is he'd have these little heart attacks. And the pacemaker would, what it does is it first tries to get his heart back in rhythm. And I think if it doesn't get his heart back in rhythm, it shocks his heart. So we were basically experiencing that. And these things, these little heart attacks would last for like, I don't know, maybe it could go on for like five minutes. It's I don't think it's ever gone past like a couple minutes, but it just felt like forever. In the moment, it feels like forever. It feels like you're going through it for like, for like hours. So basically... Um, there was a few times that I had experienced that. And even he had these little heart attacks at work around his coworkers. So that was more concerning. Um, and he started becoming very, not necessarily distant to our family and, you know, people around him, but he started becoming very, um, like he started closing people out, meaning because he was going through all this hard stuff, he didn't want people to be concerned for him. He didn't want people to worry about him. You know, he didn't want to be like the center of attention. He just figured his heart stuff was embarrassing to him because he always talked about he's had to live with all this heart stuff all his life. And he hasn't been, he hadn't, he wasn't able to do as much as other people around him had, you know, where sure he was a carpenter and, you know, he was constantly on his feet, you know, having to bend over constantly and, um, you know, he'd come home with his muscles aching and, um, his hands just completely torn and, you know, he'd have scars on his fingers. Like if he accidentally nailed his finger or, um, I remember a few times he had hammered his nail on accident, um, or scratched himself, but he was never, he was always sad and always embarrassed because he was never able to do as much as other people. Like, um, I know that a few people that I know, they go, they have a boat and they go out on like the river or something and they go boating or, you know, they go water skiing or tubing or something like that. My dad was always like, always wanted to do that, but we we just couldn't because not only was he struggling with his heart but also he you know when you're struggling with your heart and you're having to go through all these health things you know you're in and out of the hospital there's a lot of money that's being put into going to the hospital so and there was always that worry that if we were to go somewhere 
if we were to do something, you know, even out of state, you know, what could happen? You know, we're not, we're not back home. We're not around like a hospital that we're familiar with. We're not around his doctors because he had specific doctors, specific, uh, uh, heart doctors, but yeah. Um, so leading up to his passing, uh, I think around last year, the doctors had mentioned that they, we look into getting him a heart transplant because his heart was just not doing good. And the doctors felt like they did all they could. And the last thing is, was for him to get a heart transplant. Now, when you have heart problems, normally what happens is it not only affects your heart, but it starts affecting your other organs, like your lungs, your kidney, your liver, um, and his kidneys, his liver, his lungs. They just weren't doing good. You know, when he has fluid built up in his lungs and when he's constantly coughing, um, you know, he's coughing up like mucus and stuff. That's not good for his lungs. So his lungs were severely damaged and, um, you know, his kidneys with, or his liver, his kidneys, his liver, you know, with having to let go of all this fluid and so on and so forth, it just isn't good for your kidneys or liver. So we knew that if he were to get a transplant, he would not only have to get his heart transplanted, but he would also have to get either one or two kidneys, his liver, and maybe his one of his lungs. Um, so, yeah, it became time to start getting tested for that. So, beginning of this year, obviously, um, COVID-19 started, um, the worldwide pandemic, and for five weeks, I think in March, he was in a hospital. He stayed in a hospital getting tested for five weeks where our family wasn't allowed to visit. There was no visitors allowed in the hospital because of COVID, because of the risk of, you know, bringing in too many people would mean that, you know, there's more risk of like spreading COVID around the hospital. And obviously the hospital is the last place that you want COVID-19 to be. So that was really tough. And I know it was, of course, more tough for him because, I mean, imagine being in a hospital, like being in a hospital for, you know, a few days or a week is bad enough without seeing anybody because you're kind of just there by yourself around, you know, a bunch of other people that are sick, you know, they're not doing good. Um, maybe they broke a bone or something. I don't know. Um, they're surrounded a lot of doctors, and I know the last place my dad wanted to be was the hospital, was at a hospital. Um, so he was there for five weeks, and um, after that five weeks, he came back home, and we found out that that specific hospital didn't think that they would be able to go through with the transplant. So for the next few months, his health started getting worse. And, um, a week before he passed, he went to University of Chicago hospital and where he was then going to get more, 
more tests to get a transplant. Just the tests were basically to make sure that his heart was, you know, his heart was okay enough to get a transplant. His body was going to, it wasn't going to reject the transplant, um, making sure that his blood pressure and stuff like that was okay. So, um, on Monday, actually not on Monday, on the Friday before Monday, he basically had a series of about five or six of those little heart attacks, but it was to an extreme. I think it was worse than what we had seen at home and what his coworkers had seen at work. So he wasn't doing good, so they sedated him, and he was basically um, sedated. And then Monday came around, and the doctors called my mom and told them that his blood pressure was really low, like extremely low. And I think your blood pressure is supposed to be about 120 to 80. I don't know, but his his blood pressure was around like 39 to 40. So it was extremely low. And so the doctors basically said that he was dying. And I remember I had literally just gotten out of the car, just gotten home, you know. I knew that my dad wasn't doing well. Um but my mom had kind of kept kept it from me because she didn't want me to worry until I got home and she could actually see me in person and talk to me about it. Um so basically I got home and my sister came outside of the car and she said I have to tell you something. And so I, you know, I walked in the house, we sat down and she basically, my mom was in the other room on the phone with the doctor and my sister was telling me everything that had just happened. You know, my dad had the thing on Friday where he had a bunch of little heart attacks and then it doesn't sound like he's going to make it. And that just, I didn't even, I didn't even know what to think. Um, I was in California for a month, and before that, I was at university, so and that's about an hour away, and I hadn't seen my family in like two weeks or maybe a month prior to going to California because my family ended up getting COVID, so I had to keep away from them because I didn't want to risk coming home and getting COVID and then, you know, having to come back to campus and, um, you know, essentially spreading COVID around campus because COVID was already a problem at my university. But, um, yeah, so I hadn't, I hadn't seen him. And the last time I saw my dad was the day I was flying out to California. I had stopped by my house before you know, driving to O'Hare Airport in Chicago. And I, we basically stood outside, um, you know, keeping socially distanced and basically said hi and bye and that I miss them and I love them and, you know, I'll see them in a month. Um, fortunately, I had talked to my dad on the phone um, 
even though talking on the phone is much different than being in person with somebody and being able to, you know, see them, see their face, see their reactions and their emotions. It's much different than talking on the phone. But looking back at that now, I really do appreciate that. And I'm thankful that I got to talk on the phone with him and hear his voice. And, you know, even though he was struggling with everything, he was still, you know, he still did his fucking best every single day to be an amazing father, an amazing carpenter, an amazing friend, an amazing brother, uncle, um, son. He, I know that his passing, not only is it heartbreaking and just overall unbelievable, but I know that he will forever be remembered as one of the best men, if not the best man that I have ever known in my entire life. And I am so unbelievably thankful that he was and is my dad. And not only that, but he was the strongest guy that I've ever known. He is the strongest guy. And I think... I know that he has taught me so much throughout my life, whether it be, you know, obviously the one thing he was passionate about the most was carpentry. And if there's anything that he's taught me, it's that no matter how much, how much I'm struggling with my life, no matter what I'm struggling with my life, no matter how hard things may seem, there's always room for improvement and, that I should never give up on on my dreams and you know even if my dreams seem impossible to fulfill or accomplish I still can you know reach for the stars and grab the stars and do whatever I want with the stars and that was that's the biggest thing I've learned from him. Um, I remember at his funeral, my uncle, his brother, uh, basically stood up and spoke his eulogy. And I remember in the eulogy, he had mentioned that, you know, the transplant was kind of like our last option for him to be okay because we didn't know what else to do. His heart was not letting him live his life the way that he wanted it to, and it was only getting worse. So we figured that the transplant was the last option, and this was going to this was going to be him, you know, reaching the finish line. You know, he spent sixty two years. He spent so many years trying to get to that finish line, or at least we've wanted him to get to that finish line. 
you know, the transplant was going to be him running across that finish line and being like, I made it. I did it. I won. I'm good. I'm healthy. Healthy as I have ever been. But unfortunately, he passed without reaching that finish line. But what my uncle had mentioned that maybe the transplant wasn't just, you know, the end of the race, the finish line. But to my dad, it was his finish line because unfortunately he couldn't, you know, run across that finish line with everybody around him. But at least he is at peace now. He, wherever he is, he's healthy. He's happy. He doesn't have this weight on his shoulder and his chest. He doesn't have a heart that could essentially, you know, give up on him any day now. Unfortunately, his heart wasn't the best heart. Unfortunately, he was, you know, he went through all he went through. But I think it takes the strongest person to go through what he went through. It really does. But him passing, in my uncle's words, was my dad's finish line. You know, it was the end of the race. He, he'd made it. He, you know, gets to ring the bell and say that I made it. And I know that it wouldn't be... I know in my dad's eyes, he, you know, he would love to be with his family. And I know that he still is in spirit. But it just sucks. I really do miss him. We all miss him. And there's just so, so much stuff that reminds me of him, reminds everybody of him. Like I said a million times, he was a carpenter, so... He's done work around our hometown. He's done work around our house, um, even beyond our hometown. Uh, there's just so much impact that he's left on people's lives. Um, it's crazy. But that is the story of my father, John Murray, John Raymond Murray. And I really hope that you enjoy listening to this, hearing my story, hearing his story, not necessarily my story, but um, I really hope you enjoy his story. And I hope that it touches you in a way that you think about, you know, no matter how much you're struggling, no matter how much you feel like, you know, you can't do something, you can't achieve something, just know that you know, as cliche as it sounds, anything is possible. Even if you have a health problem, even if you are going through something, you know, going through something mentally, you know, like mental health, even if, you know, you may not be financially stable enough to do something, just know that there's always room for improvement and there's always room for doing something more with your life. So 
stay tuned for the next podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this one and thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a great week.